Welcome to the Great Base Tennis Podcast. This is Andy Fitzell, your co-host, alongside Steve Smith, as always. We are up to episode 21, and tonight we're talking about the overhead smash. Overhead smash. The overhead smash. We're 21. Let's go through 21. 20. Yeah, we're going Our, through, you know, early on here, we're going through, although what has it been, five months? We're going through the essential strokes. And the pillars, the educational pillars of the Great Base. Which um, we got a few more to go on both columns. The yeah. essential strokes and the pillars. Pillars being the main contributors to our content. Right. The content we share. Our main mentor, Vic Braden on reviews. He said he didn't like to have an instructor, a pet peeve of Vic's. 15 minutes left in the lesson. And you go, well, we're, we're going to cover next time. Yeah. Tomorrow. Within the re, within the lesson, okay, let's go back and cover that point, that point, review, 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 but just keep teaching to the final, to the final bell. Yeah. Um, yeah, some feedback. Uh, I know I've listened to the podcast because uh, my coach, Andy Fitzell, has asked me to. And boy, do I make a lot of mistakes. Senior moments. So Andy's... Yeah, a few of those. Told me Andy's got to step up and help me with my senior moments. But no, build, but we just got to get through it. I mean, I can't stop you every time or else we would just never get through it. And, uh, and, uh, and, uh, <laughs> Bill Jacobson. All jokes. He, from, uh, University of Cape Town, two degrees within two years, two years. not in two years. Yeah. You asked me that and I, the second time I still didn't correct it. Uh, one of our listeners, great friend down in Miami. Andres, mm-hmm. Barbosa, Carioca, yeah. not Karaoke. That was your mistake, right? No, I, no, he told me. I'm he, not sure. he, he quizzed me on the phone. I, like I got it right on the phone, but he told me I got, I got it wrong in the podcast. So check that up towards hanging, hanging in around age seventy. What working my way that way? Hey, one of our, way. one of our uh, call-ins or uh, an email was we talked about the University of Michigan and UCLA. Yeah. And right up there is the top public schools. And someone mentioned the University of Cal Berkeley. Mm. I know there are a lot of different polls, but I took care of that. I just told them that I, I knew that that place had been closed and reopened as a high school. Yeah. So, exactly. so much for Cal Berkeley. <laughs> no, our apologies, apologies to the people at Cal Berkeley. Speaking of karaoke, though, have you ever done karaoke? I have not. When I was living in LA, I did that several times. With a little help from my friends, <laughs> and uh, it was good times. A little low to high swall through on that too? Maybe. Just Maybe. water. Just water. My resolution this year is to drink more water, so I'm carrying around No more 12-ounce curls? Yeah, I'm carrying around my little water tub. Well, let's get going on the overhead. All right. With um, what I did is I wrote down 40 points. I remember the late, great Vic Braden saying many times, and the number could have been 30, 40, 50. But you I take, have 172 points, but we'll go through your 40. Yeah. Just kidding, listeners. With having 40 points, yeah. sharing 40 points with 40 coaches, and they interpret the 40 points, yeah. the 40 coaches, 40 points, 40 different ways, yeah. and then do the math. Yeah. We hope we're going to keep plugging away that we're not confusing anybody. But let's start with... Just how it's defined, the smash, the slam, the put away. If there's a home run in tennis, would you consider the overhead a home it run? It is looked upon as a spectacular. Yeah. It's interesting. The audience 
someone can miss a routine forehand, like an easy, easy forehand, no response. Yeah. And when the overhead is missed, it's like the 4th of July from the audience. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. The player too, you know, they, because I guess it's such a seemingly easy shot, you miss it and it can do devastating things to your psyche, to your confidence. Um, tennis teaching, scratch the back, point the finger as you shuffle back. Sounds good. You know, for years I would say, this is before GPS, that you'd watch the women at a country club and typical country club lesson. And as you'd see them pointing like it was duck season, yeah, scratching the back, putting the arm in a really tight position. And when they take the shuffle step, they take one step and they end in the same spot. Same spot. But the men, to pick on the men, they won't even take lessons. So it's like when a guy's driving a car years ago and he gets lost, he won't stop and ask anybody. Right. But a gal will stop and ask for directions. No, but, but you still see the point. I mean, I see that in videos where people are. Oh, for sure. Taught to point or they're really doing a good job making the ball feel insecure. Actually, with Dennis Vandermeer's logo, um, it's. Mm. It's still a PTR's logo. And when you look at it, you just recognize tennis. So it's a positive from a marketing standpoint. Right. But with the left arm up, the left arm does go up, but it's a secondary move, the primary movement. It will go through a lot of positives with the left hand. But you can have kids move back and they just try to catch the ball with their left hand. So you can use that as a drill. Mm. So I don't think you need to get hung up and go, oh, that's a myth. You don't point. The left arm does go up, but you can actually teach drills within that left arm being up. The left arm, you know, helps you stay tall, stay sideways. Mm-hmm. Left arm, you decelerate the left side, helps you accelerate the right. Yeah. And I think where people are most confused on the overhead is they, when they first start playing, they think they can hit down. Right. And swing straight ahead. I think the whole thing with the left hand going up like that early is that you don't turn the body. So you want to coil the body just like you would for a serve and any kind of throwing motion. And, and that's the big thing. So... Yeah, so early you don't turn. And so, you know, we could get into this now. We we talk about using the left hand. Vic used to talk a lot about the left elbow, Vic Braden. Point, you know, if you're right handed, you point the left elbow with the ball first, and that gets you to turn your shoulders, or you use the left hand on the throw to the racket, and that will also have your elbow pointing to the ball. So they both do the same thing, but that'll get you to coil first. And then you can go up with the left arm. Where we're hanging out in Orlando, Florida, today was a little chilly day. And a young guy came in from Canada, and I go, it's cold today. He yeah. looked at me like I was crazy. Like, what? But uh, Andy was out there, beautiful day. He had a couple of baseball gloves. Yeah. And it's interesting to ask Andy, was that the first time the kid ever put on a baseball glove? Yeah. And many times it is. Oh, yeah. And even kids have been playing. We have some kids that are playing, you know, 12-0 UTR tennis, and they don't have, when they throw a ball, they're not palmed down. I think it was three for three. Three for three today. Three then when they three. even hang on to the baseball, or should, yeah, they throw in a baseball, they're throwing yeah. a tennis ball. Uh, that's a problem. They don't use the thumb and the two two forefingers. Yeah, they haven't seen the natural. They grab it like it's a shot put. Yeah. Uh, Les Sofen, we talked about Les on this, the um, the trophy look when we talked about the serve. Yeah. Had the best serve in the 30s. Uh, I remember teaching tennis with his son at the Vic Braden Tennis College. Um, it, on the U.S. Open uh, grounds, the, 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 the statue, <laughs> yeah. it's just there, scratching point. Um, it was really a sculptor. It was a sculptor who liked the line of the arms where the elbow's down and the left arm's way up. Yeah. When you think about 
Um, the trophy look was also used for the high school quarterback. Yeah, I remember Roman Gabriel. Remember Roman Gabriel, Los Angeles Rams? I do not. You'd have the, uh, the elbow pointing down, and it was no shoulder rotation. It was yeah. pointing straight to the sky. Um, yeah, you don't want to have the elbow way, way down there. One thing, obviously, you have to talk about the lob when you think of the uh, overhead. Hmm. The lob is it's an optical illusion. It was, I always use the analogy of the airplane off in the distance. It looks like it's floating. And then if you're at a train station or your curbside and the car goes by, it seems like the car and the train is going much faster than the airplane that's so far away. Yeah. But the lobs up there, it's a distance, a greater distance than the ground stroke that's coming three to six feet over the net. Yeah. So people start to move back slow. But there's other reasons people move back slow is there's just that fear. <laughs> Bill Cosby, I've read all of Bill's books. I don't talk too much about Bill anymore, but... Um, his tennis book was all photos and facial expressions. And, and when the lab went up, he said, it was just, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. You have the book in the library. I do. You actually did I've, that. I've seen that. It's great. We should try to, to digress. Um, some pictures up from that. You know, I actually, I remember thinking about this, like, Oh, okay, maybe I'll pursue that. It was just a fleeting moment, but I had a con- contact that said, if you want to do this, I'm pretty sure you can. And I said, what's that? Is that he said, Bill Cosby travels with a teaching pro. Wherever he goes, he takes a teaching pro with him. He's made a little bit of money. And uh, I said, I thought oh, that'd be kind of cool. <laughs> and they go, well, get, ki- get kind of old, you know, <laughs> with a 4-0 minus player every day. Yeah. Um, but it's, oh, yes. I mean, you just got to love overheads. You know, the psychologist starts to tell you, you love tiebreakers. You love tiebreakers. I yeah. love overheads. The ball is, it's not like a, a pea in the sky, a, a BB. It's as big as a, a beach ball, big yeah. as a basketball. Um, yeah, go for it. One thought on the overhead is the two shots that people choke on the most are the overhead and the serve because they have the most time. The other day, someone hit a great return of serve. This happens all the time. They just go out, and they're just totally relaxed, and then they just let the arm free fall. Yeah. And um, with overheads, you just know a teaching pro is feeding young player, old player, balls in the lesson, the fishbowl, everything's perfect in the lesson. Mm -hmm. And they can hit overheads in the lesson. Mm -hmm. But you just know in the match they can't hit the overhead. Yeah. Because the brain has two sets of motor programming. Now it's in match play. And they're usually not up there, but to pick up balls or shake hands. They're up at the net. They've got hit an overhead. And they, they just flub it. Yeah, especially on an important point. You know, if it's break point, match point, set point, whatever. If, if you're playing against someone, it's a good idea to throw up a lob because chances are they're going to be thinking, this is it. That's where Vic was mentioned in Martin, uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, Blank. Blank, yeah. You know without knowing. Yeah, I just know they're going to miss the overhead. Right. right. Um, the angle up. Want to talk a little bit about the angle up? Yeah. I mean, um, you mentioned the lob. Ball's dropping um, from a higher spot faster. And so you have to hit up to counteract that dropping ball. I think it was physicist Pat Keating that would say, uh, you know, generally the lob's dropping at about a 45 degree angle on the lob and that you had to hit up eight degrees to counteract that 
you know, so that gets a little technical, but you, you got to, the end, the end idea is you got to hit up on the overhead. You don't got to think that you're going to hit down unless you're right close to the net and you could hit down, but you got to think about hitting up and out on the overhead and not down. You know, we have all these audio tapes of Vic Brayton, a theoretical physicist, Pat Keating, who's based in Detroit. Da, 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 da. His formula for the loop was 5.5 miles per hour times the square root of the height of the loop. Right. The drop, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, polish five, that up. No, that's it. 5.5 times the square. Actually, I sent someone an email today. I think it was Roberts in NorCal. Just like, yeah, well, here's the, you know, here's the math. <laughs> but that's where people think that we're just giving them high-tech stuff is that Actually, research and science are so far removed in tennis. And, but, you know, that's, you know, Braden was certainly so connected with people who are really studying, studying the game. And yeah. um, it, it's, it's interesting that people are still teaching scratch your back, point, toss higher, more time, all the different myths. Yeah, someone had mentioned, I put up today, you know, some ideas for New Year's resolutions. And I put up Vic's book, you know, Tennis 2000, and someone had commented, uh, is Vic still relevant today? You know, I'm going, and I just put yes. <laughs> yeah, physics is not a fad. Yeah. Um, the problems that you find on the survey, find over at palm up. Yep. You know, a kid puts the palm up because they can swing down. They think they can hit down because they see their target through the net. Mm-hmm. Um, you're blind to every target. On the serve and overhead, throwing motion, you're not only blind to your target, you swing away from your target. Yeah. Like, so on a volley, palm to your target. Forehand side and back in knuckles to your target. Same thing. You don't have a tracking motion with your palm, but the strings go towards the target. I mean, it's witchcraft if you're saying otherwise. No, your strings can go anywhere, point any way you want. Well, there's a lot of witchcraft out there then. Yeah. And then with one flaw, there's a counter flaw. People are facing forward. Yeah. Um, beginners to the game, obviously they're not going to generate as much um, shoulder rotation. I did look online at a couple um, – YouTube clips. Uh, Greg Lasora, we trained for a long time. Mm-hmm. OTI, um, they use certainly information from us through our eight pillars, uh, but it's really um, so much braiding information. Mm-hmm. So Greg's online with OTI instruction. Actually, the founder of that, Greg um, Florian Meyer. Florian, yeah. With, uh, you go back like a quarterback across, you know, the uh, American football. Greg is South African, but you live in the States for a while. You're going to know what a quarterback does when they're the linebackers blitzing. You don't shuffle back and you're in the trophy. Look. Yeah. Um, actually when the lob, Vic used to explain this so well with, if it's an easy lob, you, you can shuffle. There's no rules against taking a couple of shuffle steps. Yeah. But when you use crossroad steps, you cover twice the court with half the steps. Plus most yeah. importantly, you achieve body rotation. Exactly. So when those linebackers are blitzing, and those guys that are running a 40 and four flat and they're as big as a refrigerator, you want to move back as fast as you can. <laughs> exactly. And if you want to throw the ball as far as you can, as fast as you can, as accurately, you want to turn your shoulders. Yeah. Um, but with that, um, you know, players will turn with the left hand on the racket. Yeah. And, you know, if a football quarterback, when they or throw a right-hander, I'm just right-hander, when they, when they um, throw a bullet, they laser it out. It's like an overhead. If it's the Hail Mary where they're going to try to throw it from end zone to end zone, yeah. it's like a serve. Yeah, you get a little more backswing. With for every flaw, there's a counter flaw. Um, so, again, players that palm up are going to go towards a forehand grip. They're going to – older players, 
say a kid gets to be 12, 13 years old, they're going to start to displace force. They're going to have, they're going to open up and bend, which are two minutes or two moves that are counterproductive because they have to take energy away from the shot, force away from the shot. Yeah. Excuse me. They can't swing up and out to the right. I had a, uh, one of our students' parents email me this evening and asking again, oh, you know, what about regress palm up? So, if, you, if your elbow points down and the tip of the racket points up, when the shoulder goes forward, then the, the palm starts to go up. And he's like, why is that bad again? Or why is that not as efficient? And the whole thing is that, yeah, your shoulder's going to get tight. Your racket won't travel the same distance. And then, you know, if your palm's up, you're going to end up having the tendency to face forward and pull down. So, yeah, the same as a serve in the overhead. And then also the wear and tear on the shoulder, the elbow, injury. Yeah. Yep, injury prevention. With the 40 points, uh, overheads, uh, Dennis Vandermeer, 10 and 10, 100. Hit 100 overheads. You just love overheads. You feed me 10, I'll feed you 10. The first 10, or maybe the first 20, let the ball bounce. You know, and the, the flip side is young people need to know how to feed. It's not a conspiracy where, okay, your parents have to be paying $50, $60 an hour Juniors can feed, feed each other tennis balls. Yeah. And a lot of times kids have such an extreme grip on the forehand side, they can't hit an underspin lob. Mm-hmm. So, you know, granted, you want people to hit every type of lob. Um, but, and you can hit a defensive lob with underspin, a defensive lob with topspin. You can hit an offensive lob, topspin, underspin. Yeah. But get to the point when you're crossing over. But Vic, the three ways, if it's an easy overhead, um, you just... Keep your left hand on the racket and you cross over. Mm. And, you know, Vic would te- teach actually to lead with the left elbow. And I think a lot of people would, would misinterpret that. They would, they, they would point with the elbow because people heard, you know, they heard point with the finger and they go, yeah. well, this guy's going elbow. So then they started to point with their elbow. Yeah. But you, you're going to just turn. In fact, watching you um, throw uh, baseballs today, I said, watch these guys. They're, 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 they're just taking out of the glove. And the hands don't go past the belly button. The trunk can turn, but the hands don't go past the belly yeah. button. And they're telling the player that you pointed out where his left arm goes, he's a lefty, his right arm goes so far back that he can't toss out in front. Yeah, struggles with that. With But overheads, um, then, you know, you can get to the point where you're, um, you know, making the lobs really tough. So if it's a tougher lob, you just, you turn and you run. Yeah. If it's the toughest lob, so one, two, three, the third toughest lob, you don't even look at the ball. You turn it. So talking about football, throwing the, quarter, the quarterback, the receiver, if it's a great lob, you just turn and run like a like you're going long as a yeah. football player. And then you the ball's going to bounce, and you listen for the bounce. Yeah. You should do that drill a lot in a tennis college, get people yeah. to, to do that. Yeah. You achieve any lob, especially if it was an underspin lob. You know, situational drills. You do it with in singles, put two kids out there. I mean, two adults going to throw up. They could do it themselves without a feeder, but as the coach, you could throw up a, a lob. It bounces. They hit an overhead, and from there, they play the ball out. Yeah. I like to do the drill where a kid has to hit the overhead, and, and, and then from a good distance back in the court, hit it up the middle, and then your partner, who turns into your opponent, can they t- take topspin instead of lobbing twice, yeah. twice in a row? So you hit the overhead. Um, Get him back on offense. With uh, the first time I ever saw uh, Leonard Berglund working out Bjorn Borg, and uh, so many stories. 
So I, I could talk about watching him, watching the two of them practice many, many places. New York, it felt for him um, for the season ending tournament. My brother was an assistant coach with the Rangers, so I was in on getting into the practice sessions. Nice. Boca West, um, you know, I worked at Boca West at one time in Boca Raton. Mm -hmm. They had the Pepsi Grand Slam. But I actually was in Sweden. I went to Sweden with a friend of ours, Mark Hamlin, back when the Swedes had six out of, uh, six in the top 10. Like, what's going on in Sweden? So the dollar wasn't very strong. I was teaching in Germany. So, okay, let's just go to Sweden, go up there for 10 days and watch tennis. Yeah. But I was told that um, liquor was so expensive. And so we took about two cases of booze. <laughs> and anybody who helped us out, we'd say, hey, come on out to the parking lot. I got a gift for you. <laughs> so this one guy was so nice to us. They come on out. I was like, gave him two bottles of booze. He said, hey, why don't you come back tonight? And, you know, it, we, we, we didn't drink a, a drop of liquor. But it, you know, I've gone places uh, like when I, no, seriously, when I was in <laughs> Moscow I, years ago, I, I was told to take bubble gum. When I was in Prague, I was told to take tennis balls. You give, give someone a can of tennis balls back in the 80s, it was like giving them gold. I felt like that in Germany, man. Oh, was so expensive. Yeah, four, yeah. four tennis balls, but the good ones were 18 behind euros. Behind the iron, iron curtain in the 80s. Um, but so anyway, you say, hey, why don't you guys come back tonight? So Wimbledon was going on and we had, you know, so Borg was practicing, you know. So, um, but but with that, actually, to digress even further, Mark McCormick was his agent. And he, after the first year he skipped Wimbledon, second year he said, okay, I'll play. And they told me he had to qualify. But Mark uh, McCormick, the late Mark McCormick, Arnold Palmer's first agent, started I, IMG. He said, I'll get you a wild card. And at that time, that didn't even exist. Mm. But because in golf, if like, for example, you win the Masters, you're in the tournament the, the rest of your career. Mm. So Mark McCormick, you know, he, he calls up the Brits, you know, he, the all Wimbledon club. I'd like to have Bjorn get a wild card. <laughs> the, the Brits that were, I mean, the yellow ball had been in tennis for like seven or eight years. And mm. then they came along and started, they used white for you know, right. six, seven, eight years. Well, yellow, yellow ball has been used. Yeah. And they started using yellow, yellow and they said, well, we've done some research. <laughs> so they, they moved, they moved a little bit slow. A little easier. Yeah. First time I ever saw Mr. Hopman, Harry Hopman teach tennis at his place. He kept going, lovely, lovely. That's it, girls. That's it, girls. It was a group of young female players from uh, the Netherlands. Mm -hmm. I tell you, they didn't hit one ball. I mean, he was so respected. He had them, they had to touch the fence. And there was like six of them on the court. Touch the fence, touch the net. He had his old beat up laundry basket, seemed like a thousand balls. And he was just, I mean, the way he fed balls, I mean, I think after him, uh, Lansdorp. I do think when coaches feed people overheads, they feed them overheads that are so easy. Yeah. But it was the same thing is that Bergman was feeding Borg overheads, and they were at the baseline. I mean, at the baseline. Yeah. And I'm telling you, hopping the way he fed balls, it was like the girls weren't even making contact with the ball. <laughs> and he's going, still swing, jump and swing, jump and swing. Yeah. And they really should. Uh, but you have to stretch people. There's a, yeah. really an art to feeding balls. Right. Um, with, uh, when you talk about the Bryan brothers popping the ball over the fence, contact point. Yeah, you got to be way out in front. 
get the last link to really fire. Uh, Could we, be close to the net. You gotta, yeah, you got to be close to the net. I mean, that obviously helps. Helps when you're six foot four as well. Also, too, is that um, it's like, you know, we're just going to take the fullback and go right up the middle for the first down because mm-hmm. right up the middle is a safer play. Yeah. And, you know, you see the see players trying to angle overheads when they don't have to. Yeah, you got to be closer to the net to hit angles. And, uh, yeah, we do that drill a lot where we have uh, people spike the ball down, get the toss way out in front. Same thing, just feel that contact point. Yeah, when um, kids are so reluctant to go to the net. Oh, it's just, I mean, I mean players, we talk about all the time, they, years gone by and they haven't served and volleyed once. Yeah. So then kids react so slow, their recognition skills, plus, you know, we've, we've already touched about it, the fear. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. Tight, tight, tight. I could miss, miss, miss. And they should just be loose. And I love hitting overheads. Yeah. If I tell the young players, um, if you hit an overhead, that means you did something well. Right. Um, you know, so the, the young kid who throws up the, you know, like a shaky, not so good lob, and the kid misses the overhead, the kid who hit the shaky, not so good lob, they think they won the point. Right. You know, winning is not confusing. It's totally confusing. Well, you use that line a lot where you say the winner of a, a 12 and under tournament or a 10 and under tournament is the kid who hits the most overheads. Yeah. I like that. With uh, a drill we do, we get two players to pair up and you you have a player put say they're a righty, they put a ball in their left hand, they set the racket in the overhead position, the quarterback position, the yeah. salute position. And you stand like where you're sitting next to me, you just toss a ball and you, you know, you just toss straight up. You stand to the side of the person instead of in front, you're not going to get hit by the racket or the ball. Yeah. I mean, you have to definitely make a point of safety when you do that drill. But, um, and then as soon as they hit the overhead, say, okay, now serve. And their serve and the overhead are so similar. Yeah. One's just, the overhead is an abbreviated serve. Yeah, you want to have that abbreviated motion because of time, really. I mean, the ball's dropping faster. You know, then Rada came along and people said, okay, that's the trick. But the speed of the backswing has nothing to do with the power supply. Yeah. The, the backswing has a lot to do with rhythm. So, I mean, you don't have to um, have a full, a full swing, but... yeah. Um, This is one, uh, say I love overheads. We talked about that. Mm-hmm. Um, if someone is avoiding an overhead, say, for example, um, it's the, their weakest shot. Um, they just have a fear of overheads. Their whole game plan, their strategy, they're going to play one up, one back doubles. Yeah. They're going to go for the $100 shot, shot from the 10 cent position. On the approach. There is no approach shot. It yeah. becomes the anxiety of shot. <laughs> it's like home run. Yep. And, um, you know, and it really they are cutting off the, the challenge. It's like, no, learn to play all over the court. Learn to play every shot. Have some fun. It's fun, too. I mean, it's kind of an in-your-face shot. If you, if you hit yeah. it well, it's like, hey, boom. It's a confidence builder, you know. It's a confidence shot. So definitely tactics for singles and doubles. Um, if I had a penny, if I had a nickel, nickel might be better. But if I had a penny, kids will avoid the overhead. They're, they're, uh, instead of... You know, WWW and things we've mentioned in other podcasts, you force your opponents to hit weak, weaker, weakest. Well, finally, that weakest shot to lob is just an easy overhead. Yeah. And, but again, some people have such fear of the overhead is they're not going to 
you know, hit the, the target, like say we draw an X in the service box, call it the treasure, get the ball up high in the green zone, the forecourt, aim on the inside of the treasure. Um, if your opponent gets to it, all they're going to be able to do is throw up a lob. Yeah. You know, that's one thing in pro tennis, you don't see that many lobs thrown up because it's almost like it's a white flag. I surrender. Yeah. I'm going to lose the point. I think talking about targets too, people need to realize that they actually have more room to hit in if you're beyond the service line. So if you come into the net, somebody hits you, hits a lob, and you're moving back and you're between the service line and the baseline, you have more room to hit into than you do with a serve. But I think sometimes psychologically people think, well, you know, I, I don't have as much room because they're not standing on the baseline. But, you know, baseline to service line is 60 feet. And so when you're retrieving a lob and you're past the service line, you have more than 60 feet to hit into. And then if you can hit up and hit with a little bit of spin, you got plenty of room. So you can really go for it. You don't have to try to push it or hit down. In, in years gone by, there's been some interesting surveys. Survey who, says? Survey says, who's the most popular player? I worked uh, at an academy Robbie Seguzo owned. And I, I've known Robbie since he was 10. But he was voted like the most popular among the pros for a couple of years, just likable guy. I, you know, who had the best stroke for the longest time, people were saying Sampras's forehand, not his serve. The pro, that, was, that was the pros. Mm. Like what's the best shot in tennis? Yeah. So it's really interesting. But Dick Stockton, American player, he teaches veterans now. He, he called me up one time, got a hold of me because he really likes the great pace backboard. Mm. And he wanted to get veterans using the great pace backboard. But he was a top 10 player in the world. So many stories about Stockton, but back in the day, his father, you know, he's 10 years old, put him on a bus by himself and said, see ya. <laughs> but um, Figure it out. But Dick Stockton, he had a full swing on the overhead. When I think of Dick Stockton, Dick Stockton was coached by Dennis Ralston, who recently passed away. Wimbledon champion, Davis Cup captain, so many things. I coached at SMU at one point. I remember watching him. In many different settings, um, working with Chris Everett. So Bjorn Borg goes water skiing with uh, Vitas Carolitis during the U.S. Open. And the U.S. Open was on clay 75, 76, 77 at Forest Hills before it went to Flushing Meadows. And Borg had a great shot to, to win it. I mean, he retired at 26. But um, so he, he thought he tweaked his shoulder a little bit. Plus, the story went that, you know, um, takes a shower, doesn't towel off and not well enough, air conditioning, he, had, he has a stiff neck. So in the New York Times, there was an interview, and, you know, they have a day off in between matches, and Ralston reads that Borg has a stiff neck. Mm-hmm. And um, the strategy was, well, you're not going to stock You're going to be tough to beat Borg on, on clay. I mean, there was an article in Time, 50 Ways to Beat Bjorn Borg on Clay. And one was make him wear flip-flops, you know, all these different ideas. Yeah. So, you know, Stockton just brought him in. You know, and Stockton, he lost his two, the, the first two sets and was losing the third. But he had just made Borg hit so many overheads yeah. that he defaulted. <laughs> and it was because he, had, he read that in the paper. Uh, you know, some of the greatest Serena Williams, if you watch her... Um, she faces four when she hits an overhead. What, and she's been doing that since she was a young kid. Um, first time I ever saw hit balls, they, 
the family, Richard Williams, they sent film to Vic. You've seen that. They're, mm-hmm. set, they're 15 months apart. They're seven, eight years old. We have yeah. a copy of that. Um, then I was in Boca Raton, and Rick Macy, at that point, he wanted out of where he was. He had rented too many condos and rented too many tennis courts, and he wanted to be a, become a partner of the Seguzo Bassett Tennis Academy. Mm-hmm. So I ended up spending, spending quite a bit of time you know, just I had nothing to do with coaching them. I remember uh, Richard watching uh, watching Anderson coach Dave Anderson coach on court, but he, he watching watching me uh, make videos. Make videos, right? Yeah. Um, but what um, what people do when they're very very young? Uh, I mean, she's a great athlete, great player. Someone was asking about the other day. I mean, her service motion, the circular motion on her forehand, obviously just the competitiveness, but. If you watch closely, you'll see that she'll. I mean, for years I've said the only person who could beat Serena is Serena. Yeah, um, so, I see the same thing with Novak Djokovic. I mean, we know he changed his serve really dramatically. Yeah, that really low elbow and the palm up, but you still see traces of that regress kind of palm up um, with his serve, and then also with his overhead. He'll be pretty close to the net and face forward sometimes, and and miss his overhead, hit it in the net. Because he pulls down a little bit. With um, a little bit of palm up. Burditch. Yes. Guy's a thing. walking statue. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he had regress palm up. Yeah. Great, great player. Uh, yeah, serve, high toss. Yeah. Regress palm up, serving overhead. Yeah. With um, Djokovic, at one point, I'm sure it's still the case, is that um, spends more money on his coaching or for coaching, for coaching than anyone, mm. anyone else. He hired um, feedback, Wojtek feedback from Poland. You know, his story became top 10 player in the world. He said that that was the biggest mistake he ever made because his goal was to be top 10. And once he made top 10, he said, hey, this was a mistake. He yeah. should have said he wanted to be number one. Yeah. But when he's 22 years old, his father, you know, a family that had connections with the Communistic Party, and he ends up beating Arthur Ashe on red clay, which wasn't, it's like beating Arthur Ashe on a hard court or a grass court. So he was someone who got out of Eastern Europe, got the chance to play. Mm. So he be, you know, he became uh, Lendl's advisor. And he did really well financially. I think he has a, he did at one point, I think he still does, has the largest uh, Polish art collection in the world. Mm. So it goes like this. Feedback coach Lendl. Murray hired Lendl. Yeah. Djokovic hired feedback and they asked him why and he goes well i want to find out what he's telling yeah what lendl's telling murray yeah uh, bill jacobson one thing that we could have talked about with bill with stats one of our pillars is three two one you could even do it where okay if you know 12 and under tennis if you hit an overhead you automatically win the game if you hit an overhead you automatically win the set yeah and we're playing best of five yeah and so uh, but even with that, sometimes kids just say won't come in. So with Jacobson's contributions to tennis, up at the net, if you win the point, you get three points. Mm-hmm. And then if you lose, it's one. And in the middle of the court, you go plus two, minus two. And, you know, points shouldn't really end in the middle of the court. Right. But they do because people aren't going, they're not even thinking about it. It's like there's a moat. <laughs> the net's the castle. There's a moat around the castle and it's, lot of monsters you know it's like i'm afraid of that net yeah but so at the baseline it's reversed you win the point at the baseline you get a plus one yeah you lose the points and minus three 
and you do it based you can do it based on just where you're standing and you only keep your own score so two two players go out to play say no no you you serve four you serve four you keep your own score your score's got nothing to do with their score yeah and those are the kind of things they should do with little kid tennis yeah. you know i think too many times the people that are in meetings to change junior tennis you got to thank them because they're volunteers here in the US USTA but they're not from the trenches. Yeah. They haven't been out there coaching tennis. Um, you know, like say along the lines, we say there's three motions for stroke production, lifting for ground strokes, pushing for volleys, throwing for serves and overheads. Mm-hmm. Really kids that are even, you know, say, okay, up to 10. Once you go into the 12, so okay, you got to serve into the box. You know, we have a young girl here who's, who's uh, just turned nine a couple of days ago from California. She's doing really well. Yeah. It really should be where she could just turn and hit the serve and it can go anywhere in the court, anywhere in the court. Because once you tell a kid this, this, the same problem they have in the overhead, palm up, yeah. you know, how do we say pizza position, pull down instead yeah. of salute position, twist up. Got to push it in they're the gonna, box. They're going to patty cake it in. They're going to hit it with underspin. Yeah. I was in time in Germany teaching tennis with Mark Hamlin. Bone. The bone. The one and only. So it, I've... Mark says, there's a man he wants to wants you to watch his son play. And I don't think the kid was even four. He might have been four. He was just tiny. He goes, he goes, he just wants you to watch his son serve. So father, son come out at the end of the day, and we greet them. And you know, the little kid goes back to the baseline. He puts the racket right here in the tray, tray position, yeah. palm up, tosses it, and like and just goes like this. Yeah. Boom. Same. And it goes in every time. And the guy, the dad goes, My kid's got it. <laughs> he's a genius my kid's got the talent and i said well if i were you i would never let him do that again yeah <laughs> what? So i didn't mean to take the air out of his sails yeah but the overhead continental grip it's really interesting uh people have it reversed in tennis instead of having a composite grip some of the people that we've changed taught to teach tennis you know, the grip system that Braden used, one, two, three, four, five, they'll say 2.5. Yeah. And, okay, 2.5. But com- composite means it's a combination of two. Mm-hmm. It used to be composite rackets made out of fiberglass and graphite, such and such. But it's kids have the reverse. they got a death grip. They've got a strong continental grip. Yeah. And the racket face is not even facing the court they're standing on. This is what the pros do. The pros don't for say what, for a volley. The pros don't say what they do or do what they say, yeah. and we're inspired by the pros, not instructed by the pros. Yeah. But on the overhead, um, most kids they have strong continental on the volley forehand side, mm-hmm. and then they have a composite grip, almost a continental on the overhead. They got it backwards. Yeah, exactly. But the reason they do that is that e- even in the beginning, for someone to make a change, the traces of the old. Braden did that research project 25 years. He was teaching sixth graders. I mean, you were at the reunion, right? Yeah. So that's the way Vic was. So he's teaching sixth graders. He has to teach a six-week, he just did it for a few years, teaching the sixth grade, six-week unit of tennis, films everybody. Yeah. And 25 years goes by, they have reunion. That was cool. And traces the old that was the only time they played tennis and that's how powerful the brain is is that yeah. the, that's what they did during those six weeks and that's what the brain came back to yeah i mean with, with the continental grip on the serve and the overhead you basically if you're right-handed you end up hitting the pole to the left you know the net post to the left until people learn to pronate 
yeah. twist the forearm and so that, you know, they cheat with the grip a little bit, which helps square up the racket. But then, then you got the palm up issue. When people practice over it, like a righty is going to hit, hit the ball to the left over it. You got to have people direct it to both sides. Yeah. I do think teaching the zones when they're in the green zone, yellow zone, red zone, for most players, not the pros. And that's actually a problem in tennis where I'm trying to play like the pros. No. Well, you know, with Milan. That's completely the problem. The Milan, if it's this pro has, like say Roger, let's go, he's got 30,000 hours of Milan. Mm. Um, the the 10,000 hour rule times three. Yeah. And so I'm going, I'm going to, I'm going to play like Roger. And the way he grew up and brain types and all that. Yeah, the red clay and the discipline. There are yep. so many, so many factors. But the zones, you, you know, young players in the red zone, they can hit their, their, over, their overhead as a ground stroke. You can hit your overhead as an approach shot. Yeah. Um, with self-feeding, you know, we mentioned that with Welby Van Horn. I go, Welby, why did you never miss an overhead? Well, Steve, when I was a kid, we didn't have TVs. TV. Awesome. But being able to go out and just feed a ball up and move your feet around, you know, you know, we call it just, okay, take a frying pan and you, yeah. but you actually, you can take a ball and just spike it down, which is actually good to have your yeah wrist be loose, your forearm be loose. We, we do that on the serve. We call yeah. it the Elvis Presley. It comes from Elvis with the, pel- the pelvis with the- Sway in his hips. Uh-huh. <laughs> but with uh, hanging onto a guitar, yeah. and then we say Elvis on a skateboard, snap down. But you can actually snap down and- and then hit an overhead, but the ball is going to, when you snap down, the ball is going to go everywhere. And that, the big thing is adjustment steps. Yeah. Big thing is adjustment steps and people freeze, people freeze. Yeah. Um, and off of a backboard, I put up a video the other day on the Instagram, just showing how you can do overheads off of a backboard. Yeah. That's what it's a, Find we, a wall. We just built uh, a 30 feet wide, 12 feet high, the higher, the better backboards can be the worst way to practice. But once someone has strokes, that's uh, the best way to practice. The best way to hit the most amount of balls. Now, we have the portable backboards, which has the incline board. Ideally, um, you want to have a kid who has three backboards. Um, you know, I was talking about, you know, a couple of juniors in the past that became very successful today. And they all three, or uh, all, all those the juniors, the groups, the kids I mentioned, they had all three backboards. So if in a garage, and I know some kids, you know, they live in an apartment or some kids, their parents yeah. have a carport, but if you have a garage, you put up a piece of plywood, you buy foam balls. Right. Um, not the orange ball, the red ball, but a Nerf ball, foam ball. Yeah. So that's backboard number one, in the garage piece of plywood. Backboard number two is the incline, the portable backboard. Now with um, Ilya and Andrew who work with us, they have changed it to the all-in-one backboard. Yeah. It has a four, the backboard forces you to swing up. Um, and then third one, if you could build one. And t- Tyler, Texas, it's amazing how many young players that I met with their parents. You know, nowadays, it's a lot of times it's communities and HOAs, the homeowner associations, you can't build a backboard. Yeah. But put up a floodlight. And we tell people that come to visit us, it's expensive to get on the airplane to come and take tennis lessons. But I tell people, if you can, before you come back a second time, you'd be better off to build a wall. Yeah. Build, build a, a wall. With um, <laughs> Actually, I mentioned Greg Lesore. His mother was a world-class player. She had a win over Margaret Court. Um, I think it was age 12. It might have been age 13. 
I think she was 13 when she went into the city from the country, but in, in that, up until that point, she had never really played on a tennis court. But you know, as a South African, she was hitting against a wall the, on a dirt surface mm. and just hit the wall every day. I mean, Sellers, yeah. where she grew up, she couldn't play on a on a court until she was 12, so she just hit against the wall. Yeah, so many players. Um, yeah, you can practice overheads against the wall. The um, What's the name of the facility in Washington, D.C., Ray Benton? College Park. College Park Champion Center or Junior Champion Junior Center. Junior Champion Center, College Park. So they had three young kids did really well. Junior Ori, he had the speed. He was fast as lightning. He came to us and yeah. and made these changes in his game where he was pretty much a very fast, one-dimensional baseliner. And then, you know, through the changes, he ended up um, you know, to play some, a little bit of doubles. I'm talking, I, he was a, success, a successful junior, but, you know, how would his game have translated into the pros? Mitchell Frank, who won so many tournaments, even in the college, and he was, so he had, sp- the, the, he had the physical side with Junior Ori. They had the big three, right, from the same club. And then you had Mitchell Frank, who was a, a mental Better. warrior. Yeah. And Dennis Kudla was the third, but, before I tell you, his strength was that of the three is that he had a chance to hit with Nadal, Dennis Kudla. And he was asked during the interview, do you think you just hit with the, the most mentally tough tennis player of all time? He goes, no, I think Mitchell Frank is. <laughs> but, uh, but Kudla, you know, you just hear different things. Uh, they, they couldn't pull him off the backboard when he was a kid. That his family's from the Ukraine. But if you watch him, he had the best technique of the yeah. three. And simple. You know, sometimes you're better off without instruction. You know, okay, I'm just gonna hit against the wall, the ball, the ball's coming back, and you know, I'm not gonna have yeah. all these terrible swings. But yeah, the backboard is great for the overhead. Backboard's great for emergency shots. You take the overhead action, put the racket on the salute position, you snap down. Mm-hmm. Let the ball go over your head, and any shot behind you is an emergency shot. Yeah. So you can create so many different shots. Yeah, back in overheads, tweeners. With um, every little detail um, on that one clip, and I looked at just a handful of clips on overheads, um, it was good to see that it was more shoulder rotation than scratch your back and point. So yeah. Tennis teaching has improved, but coming back to uh, Florian Meyer, Greg Lasseur, the OTI website, online tennis instruction. Mm-hmm. Greg was doing a tip where he's got the left index finger on the racket face. Yeah, you know, fingertips on the throat of the racket. That's for racket head maneuverability, racket head awareness. But you now we'll, we'll talk about Peter Burwash. We, you know, he, you know, Peter and his organization contributed so much to what we put together. Um, but that really helps. With, you know, just, so the, even when you turn for backhand volley, sentry perception, you're looking forward, you just know where that racket it is. Yeah. We always tell people, hang on to the racket like a violin. Don't hang on to it like a tuba. Yeah. You know, if, if someone's a dentist, for example, and they hire a dental hygienist, and dental hygienist, you know, they're coming out of school, they're young, they're in their 20s. The question would be, is a dentist going to help the dental hygienist hold the equipment the right way? And what's really interesting about dental hygienists and dentists is a lot of them get tennis elbows because 
You know, <laughs> and the tennis elbow yeah. used to be called little league elbow. I mean, politicians would get it from shaking hands. Mm. Carpenters would get it from having a layoff. And then all of a sudden, you know, they're the person who went from being um, on site to maybe working in the office. And then they come back and because they were the carpenter before they hired maybe six carpenters work for them. So then they become became the entrepreneur. And they come back and they, anything... You know, the wrist and the elbow are really weak joints. So how people use their body, and we film. I know you're always telling me, that, you know, third angle, third angle, <laughs> film from behind. Mm-hmm. And you can really see almost no one, I hate to be doom and gloom, but almost no recreational junior, yeah, even, you know, pretty experienced junior players, even to the level, okay, they're a 12-0 on the UTR, pretty respectable player, getting to the point where they're going to be able to play college tennis and they have like no shoulder rotation. Yeah. And if that was a baseball coach, the pitching coach, I should say, yeah. well, really in baseball, you got to throw the ball from everywhere, but um, the quarterback is they're going to turn. Yeah. There, there's a, a YouTube clip of Tom Brady. He's in his backyard. He's got the helmet on, shoulder pads. His kids are running around. Mm-hmm. He's working with a biomechanist and the biomechanist tells him, stop the left side. Yeah. Have that power X, yeah, and you know it looks like you know the right arm coming where they have it. It looks like it forms an X, yeah. And he's going, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. (laughs) I'd throw the ball so much better. I think with a non-dominant arm, with that tip, if you're a right-handed player, then you cradle the throw to the racket as you turn. Switch your grip helps turn the shoulder, so you get the rotation. You exaggerate. I always tell people to show, you know, if you're right-handed, show show me your left shoulder blade or show me your back. So get coiled, but also to keep that efficient angle, the racket, we talk about that, using the left hand, helps you abbreviate the swing and then helps you unweight your right arm. So there's a bunch of things there that you can do when you use your non-dominant hand to initially turn with the racket. Yeah. Overhead. And the OTI, I mean, sorry guys, if you're listening to this, like I I know you both and uh, I know who trained you to teach tennis and (laughs) there's no OTI method. I'm I'm just going to come out and say it. Well, it's great that they're sharing. They're great they're sharing. But when it comes down to, I mean, I went to a prep school and the biggest crime at the prep school, the biggest fear was plagiarism. Yeah. And, you know, I I think for young coaches, old coaches, what I do is something, you hear someone, and I should be able to tell your name, for example, the coach of the player, the the psychological coach of the player who just won the French, the young Polish girl. Mm Mm-hmm. And um, I just think it's fantastic. Now, I need to improve my storytelling so I can tell you, okay, here's the name of the Polish player, here's the name of her coach, but I'll, I'll be able to do that. Yeah. Is I'm not just going to throw it out with saying, you know, just a little bit of like, okay, here's, Vandermeer would call it a little bit of ac- academic finesse. You've done some homework. Mm-hmm. Don't pretend it's yours. Yeah. And. Um, no, it's just a pet peeve of mine though. But anyway. low, low <laughs> expectations and high standards. Yeah. My expectations is to work hard all day. Yeah. My expectations, I'm going to be the first one to practice, the last one to practice. My expectations, I'm going to run for every ball. In my, it, it, not the high standard, oh, I want to play at Stanford. You yeah. Know? yeah. I want yeah. to be top 10 in the world. <laughs> um, with, um, but no, if you, if something, something really registers, you know, it's where did I learn it? Who did I learn it from? Yeah. And make it a story. Yeah, exactly. Um, you'll have a better memory. The rate of forgetting is scary. Mm-hmm. People ask me, how do you remember all this? Well, I think, you know, many things, you know, I've 
from a large family. So um, storytelling, nostalgia, and my mother was a great storyteller. And, but make it a story. Don't, 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 don't make it your autobiography. Like, yeah. okay, this is, yeah. you know, this is what I put together. Yeah. Um, here's something with, um, I mean, I, I know this, you know, to go along with that. Florian Meyer did an internship with us. And then he, he has, it's online. He had two telephone conversations with Vic Braden. And Vic mentions, you know, this overemphasizing the split step. Yeah, I set well, that up. <laughs> but, with, but, but with a split step is, you know, Vic knows, okay, um, I mean, the way you look at high-speed film, you just have to look at the film. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to go to the right, and, you know, that the foot just touches down, it veers off to the right. It's not the, the traditional split step that he, you know, always taught. Yeah. So people have a, just get a sound bite from Vic. You know, he passed away, and people would say, hey, I really you know, the Vic Braden method, and they would just motion, and you just you just knew in 30 seconds that you they really didn't know, know the Vic Braden method. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't a matter of, okay, I I read a, a magazine article or I saw him on TV, to really study what he studied. Um, but no, I still will teach the split step, just organize. Dennis Vanderbilt used to say that, organize, organize, get ready, get in the ready position, because yeah. you have to teach fundamentals. Yeah. Um, you know, and you can. You know, I don't think enough of that goes on anymore. Where you, you know, go over different sports. I was listening to Dick Gould be interviewed this mm-hmm. week. That's an amazing thing about podcasts. Yeah, and he didn't want to play tennis. His mother said, "No, you have to play tennis." And he was a, grew up on a ranch. His mother said, "Well, if you don't take the lesson, you can't ride your horse." He goes, "Well, I went and took the lesson." And and the person who was teaching him said, "Well, this is what a boxer does. This is what a baseball player does." And he compared everything from. I don't think he'll do that anymore because. The kids don't really understand. You know, they're not following boxing. They're not following running. Yeah. Um, yeah. With but anyway, coming back to movement, the very first movement, if you do high speed film, a player on the over, they move forward before they move yeah, backwards. Exactly. They have to move forward as they get going. Yep. So that first step, they'll, they'll actually you see them take the step forward and just to push off. Yeah, opposite. Um, but that's something that I don't say. Okay, let's go forward before you go backwards. Yeah. Um, there's some things that just evolve. And I think that's where you know people are saying, "Well, let me give you the secret sauce," and then they try to put their own. I always say it makes no sense for people to put makes no sense for everybody putting their two cents. Yeah. I think that's the way I say it. Yeah, you got it. That's pretty good. Not a senior moment. I don't. I don't. Sure. I don't have too many of my own lines. That, that's one of my own lines. <laughs> um, again, the benefit of the left hand. You know, just think with the left hand on the forehand. Braden used to say the left hand is the culprit. So people think they can actually generate more force by letting this left arm fly open. You see that all the time on the surf. So if you build Andy Murray, yeah. you know, unfortunately with his hip operation, he was it used to be the big four, and I feel bad every time I hear the big three. Yeah. Murray was so tough. Yeah. But so the the left arm flies out after the hit, but the ball is gone. Yeah, you know by by the time you register the hit, the ball is seven to eleven feet away from you. Yep. So people are always just sneaking a peek. Yeah. You know, getting people to keep their heads still. Um, the late actor, Charleston Heston, he used to tell people that he would give them $100 if they ever had a photo of Ken Rosewall where his eyes weren't looking right at the direction of the hit. Mm. I think Borg and Fetter were mentioned all the time, oh, they yeah. just keep the head still. There's a little nine-year-old girl here from, from uh, California. 
she runs, she keeps her head so still when she runs. It's just, you know, it's like, okay. Yeah. And then, you know, you, you know, you watch a young kid, it's like, okay, we can help tweak her technique. I mean, we've known her for what, five years now, yeah. four or five years is, um, the, um, but how do they, how do they make line calls and, uh, go up there and hit an overhead. If it's really short, go up there. Yeah. Um, with, yeah, learn um, those instincts when you're young. The um, yeah, the left arm. So acting as a break and stopping the left side. If you're right-handed, making the right side go faster. But you only learn through repetition, and you know you need to reward kids for getting overheads. I tell people all the time, "Hey, you dictated the point. They're up yeah. at the net. They missed an overhead." Vic used to always say, "Well, they came to the net. They missed an overhead. That was in April. They won't come up to the net till April next year." <laughs> Um, you fall off the horse, you get right back on. Yeah. But I think the image of, um, just scratching the back and pointing with, uh, I'll tell you a story when I think of that. Um, we've mentioned Patrick, Patrick Mortigolu. How do you say it? Um, Mortiglu. I don't know. Something with some French. Um, Jan Silva. So I worked with a young kid by the name of Jan Silva. Mm -hmm. So where to begin with this? I trained in Tampa for 15 years. I was in Tampa, which is not too far away from Terry's. So Jan Silva's parents, he's taken down to Nick's, but they come into my place and I brain typing ENFJ, his older brother had played a lot more tennis and empathetic, empathetic educator Spent a lot of time with his older brother trying to help him with his technique. Yeah. So that was before he was five years old. I mean, at one point, I mean, I was interviewed by GQ magazine, Vanity Fair, Vanity Fair. You got the looks, man. Yeah, I got the looks for that kind of interviews. But um, there's so many stories within this story. I'll just tell you this one. Patrick's a pretty wealthy guy. Now, they were, his, uh, these two, yeah. his father is a billionaire. <laughs> so there's two two guys um, that work for him and, uh, they're in Florida on business, but they come and they actually spend, um, I mean, we went out to lunch, dinner, the next day breakfast, they were, you know, and they didn't want anybody to know that I was doing any work that was being funded by Patrick's Academy yeah. because what happened was Baghdadis, you know, you say when he came on, the greatest smile in tennis is that, you know, he got a little bit of a bun wrap for breaking all those rackets, but, um, he saw Jan Silva hitting balls and he told Patrick, Patrick was his coach. Yeah. You know, he's came from Cyprus. He went to France. So Jan Silva had a lot of skill and the why, why is he was the kid who could play with one toy. So they have a foam paddle and a, um, you know, a glass sliding door and the kid is, you know, three years old. He puts in the VCR, he pushes play and he watches James Blake hit balls. That's all he does is gets his tape, pushes in, watches James Blake hit tennis, tennis balls. And so he could really hit the ball. Didn't have technique, but he just, you know, so he's just- One-handed backhand. Not initially. Okay. So he's just whacking balls. Not refined skills. Yeah. And but father is an athletic guy, played, played uh, big-time college basketball, coaches now, but his mother- um, she was good, good enough player to play world team tennis. She's from Finland, so American father, Finnish mother. 
So what happened with Yannick Noah, he was discovered by um, Arthur Ashe, Cameroon. So he goes to France and the rest is history. French Open champion. Yeah. Amazing, amazing player. So Patrick's sponsors the whole family. I mean, they moved from Sacramento to Paris. Patrick wasn't in the south of France at the time. He had an academy. Um, so one thing led to another. They Patrick used to fund the whole family to come and work with us in Florida. And we have all sorts of film. And how well he was hitting the ball. And I mean, this kid, you could feed him a ball you know, by the time he was like five, six years old, he could stop it with his foot, hit it on his thigh, hit it on his head, and hit an overhead. <laughs> um, he's a unique kid, too. So Patrick, um, I end up, because the mother wanted to have someone that I trained in Paris. So I had a coach who had a French passport. So I go over, I took my son Connor with me. Yeah, He's like, you know, 15, 16, and he he could do all these drills with, you know, all the drills we do yeah. with uh, young. I think by that time, Silva was maybe six years old. There was a featured article in yeah. Tennis Magazine. Oh, yeah. And it's all over the media. So sit down with Patrick, and Patrick tells me, you're all about math. Tennis is art. And I said, okay. So then I, I, at his place, it was in the wintertime, his bubbles were up. It was not as fancy a place that he has now. Mm-hmm. And so I said, does Patrick ever teach? And he's, I guess say, no, he never teaches. You know, we have our tiebreaker test. And I go, well, Patrick, let me show you for a few things. There was a girl who was number 60 in the world. And I said, she won't pass a tiebreaker test. Not if I feed the ball. Yeah. I, she's a great player, but she's not going to hit the volley. Yeah. I mean, it's not, she's not going to be able to hit, you know, the way she's hanging out of that racket, the way that racket's going downward, she doesn't volley anyway, She, but she's 60 in the world. But you have to hit two volleys yeah. in an overhead to pass a tiebreaker test. Yeah. And, um, no, it was interesting. I remember I was there and there's French TV came in and I was, they just want, I was just told, you will not be seen by this French, French network. <laughs> so Patrick... I mean, I, he, I have his book, you know, uh, it's an autobiography and um, he wanted to be a pro and his father said, no. Father, when I was there, his father had one company, just one of his companies netted 485 million. So the, the um, his father said, no, you got to go to university. So when he came out, he wanted, he wanted to run academy. His father said, no, you have to prove to me you can make something work. So his father buys an old hotel and Patrick works day and night for two years and turns the hotel into a success story. And then the father says, okay, carte blanche. Yeah. And you know, what he does now is that, I mean, you know, Tissy Posse is a really good player. He's 11 years old. Patrick looks at him on YouTube, calls, gets in touch with him, says, we would like to see you. He just gives him a business card. I mean, from there it's, it's, you know, there's so many positives, you know, credit card. But, you know, so he gets to keep the same entourage, but he, but, but now he has yeah. a facility and, and, you know, and he's continued to grow, but, but anyway, to come back to the overhead. Yes. And Patrick said, you are all about math and tennis is art. I remember him telling me how much he really loved the Williamses. And that was, you know, he had very little to do with the Williamses at that time. Um, but he had enough money to have. You know them. Came, they they came in and they were. He, he was paying them to be there. You know, mm-hmm. 
Richard and such. So, um, so anyway, I go, he's got to teach some. He's never on the court. And so I play in private eye and they says, he does get on the court with um, one of his, uh, one of his young kids. I mean, she's like a seven-year-old daughter, seven-year-old girl's daughter. Yeah. It makes me think about it, that it's the reverse. Patrick knows right where to be during every Grand Slam. You know, he's coaching Serena. He knows right where the camera's going to be. She's going to walk out, and he's there. I mean, he's, he's, he's going to get... And you're here in the U.S. I mean, he's being interviewed. He's huge. And Ashley, when they started the Academy, we are talking about the overhead. Patrick has a very good overhead. In other words, parents have a very uh, difficult overhead. It deals with money. Yeah. Patrick's overhead, he's got it covered. Yeah. <laughs> so... um he knows right where to be. So, so did I in this situation. Cause I found out every Wednesday he's on the court with his seven year old daughter. Yeah. I said, really? So I've got my son with me, but Jan Silva and my son, they've got, they're grilled on what to do. They, I mean, they've got it written down, but they know what to do anyway. And I hide myself behind these ball baskets in a bubble. Mm. You know, and you, kids got big shoulder bags and you got ball, those ball carts. And it's like, okay, I'll just lay behind this basket, read a book. And then, and I know he's going to come in at two o'clock. I'll let him start teaching. And sure enough, he's got a little girl, his daughter, and he's pointing and he's scratching the back and he's giving her the trophy look. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so then I just got up and he startled to see me. And I said, Patrick, it was great to see you teach. <laughs> because I think many people, I mean, the touring pros, especially, I mean, it's just society is that um, all you got to do is go to YouTube and Tracy Austin, um, she's she's one of the best. Um, you know, she could go back and do some homework based on how she was taught. Um, yeah, you know, and she had the best situation with Braden first and Landstorp second. Okay, here's the basics. This is how you do it. And now I'm going to pump you a lot of balls and make you mentally tough. And that's another whole story. Yeah, with the whole family. But but yeah, that's when I think of. Um, a country club and everyone, you know, they're in the trophy look and they yeah. scratch and point um, with um, that's when I think of Patrick and he's on TV and, and, and uh, um, but tennis math, shoulder rotation can be measured. Yeah. The grip can be measured. You know, how that racket travels on an overhead, you know, it's going to go 450 degrees. Yeah. You know, how the left arm ends up blocking out and is the body up is the body going up and, you know, the lower body, upper body, you know, how does the kinetic chain work? Yeah. And, and then the art is just the practical application, yeah. you know, how you get yeah. somebody to do that. You know, but with that, um, you know, he certainly is providing an amazing service. You know, then you become a confidant, a mentor, and it's all the intangibles. But I think people should know how that works is that if he's he's got, I think, five or six young people that, He's coaching now that won Grand Slams, but it, it's it's no different than the USTA in this country. It's happened to me. I've coached so many kids and uh, it's federations. I mean, I Canada, Germany, where I've coached young kids where they become number one in their country, and then the federation, yeah, you know, we're here to see you, yeah, and we have this big pile of money, yeah. and we can take you wherever you want to go, and then if you're with us, you can practice with so and so. Yeah, and then people get off get off course. Um, 
For the overhead, I think one thing to end up with talking about Patrick, it's art. It's a lost art. Mm. It's disappearing. Mm -hmm. You can go, I mean, just, people just think I'm crazy. I go, no, 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 no. It's really down. It's tennis is, it's a crisis. You can go to a tournament for three days. Yeah. You right. go to a tournament where there's 12s, actually 10s, 12s, 14s, 16s, 18s. National tournament. Yeah, and not see an overhead. Yeah. Not see an overhead. But it's certainly one of the essential shots. Um, we have seven, but actually when you start teaching a kid a uh, two-handed backhand volley, so we just take the eight shots. It, the pushing motion would be for the volleys, throwing motion for the serve overhead, lifting motion for the ground strokes. The Anderson backhand inverted, underspin inverted mm -hmm. bow. But you just, you know, four pairs. So first is the four-hand volley, the four-hand ground stroke. Next is the... Uh, Two in a backhand volley and the two in a backhand ground stroke. Next is the backhand volley and the underspin backhand, and then the serve and overhead. Yeah, um, but um, yes, you do have to have an overhead. No, I think the basics. I I think we covered. I mean, it's hard to do it over audio, but you know, ready position. You're going to turn. You're going to abbreviate the swing. Keep your palm down. Have the continental grip. Get that salute quarterback position. You know, the setup is so, so important. And then and then it's really just the serve motion from there, you know, with with the word picture we use where you get the comb the hair action and the racket makes a circle and comes around on edge and you pronate and all that good stuff. I do have to tell you one other thing about this. The two guys from the staff, you know, I, I'd been over there and I knew when I show when I when I showed up, I knew there was gonna be somebody there that I knew. And there was somebody on the staff that had been coached by Steve Denton. And I go, bingo. Mm. Because in tennis, it's like, you know, does anybody know you? So I, I show up and nobody knows me. Yeah. I did show up and I took film of uh, the, one of the best young players ever, one-handed backhand, the Frenchman. Yeah, Gasquet. Yeah, Richard Gasquet. So I, seriously, as soon as I walk off the airplane, there's a, you're not going to see this in American airport, but there's a poster of Gasquet. And I've got film of him when he's a little kid, then as a pro. Mm -hmm. And he takes a racket way up high. But if you take the racket, racket way up high, Racket face is going to be open. Yeah, especially with a bent elbow. And they're going to go, oh, the racket face is open. Yes, but let's watch what happens at the bottom part yeah. of the swing. Yeah. But anyway, this is what I got to end with. Just because um, <laughs> let you know I do have a little bit of an ego. I get such a kick out of this. So these two guys from France, they told me, and they wanted me to be a secret. Don't tell anybody. I go, well, I'm not telling anybody. I'm teaching Jan Silva. <laughs> but... If anybody asked me, I would not tell them. Yeah. And they, they were just, they was like, you must not tell anybody. <laughs> and so anyway, they told me, and, and again, I could not, in all fairness, I could not speak French. Typical American. <laughs> How's it go? If you speak three languages, you're tri trilingual, you speak two, you're bilingual, you speak one, you're American. So I they're speaking, that. they're speaking to me um, in, in French, but it's very audible, very clear. And I understand everything they're saying. And they say, you do good job. But in just in Paris, we have a thousand people that can do what you can do. A thousand. A thousand. But I said, no. I said, come <laughs> on. There's only 800. There's only 800. But with that, I'll end by saying, if you were to watch a thousand people teach tennis, how do they teach the overhead? And our game would grow if there was, and Vandermeer was trying to do that with a standardized method. If we could get, you know, you say, well, we're on the same page. And I go, no, you're not even from the same book. Yeah. 
And if kid, young kids, uh, and that's a really the future of the game is bringing new people into the game, not being one of these merchants of flesh at a weekend term and handing out business cards. Right. You know, a third base coach, I can help your kid score. But we need more first base coaches and teaching kids how to catch and throw um, and being creative. And when it comes down to um, it would be it'd be so it'd be so great. That's that's for us a great base. It's not as they say all the time, it's Steve Smith, Andy Fitzell stuff method stuff is that it works you know you this is this is the where your elbow should be this is how you turn and you know and then you got to practice and practice and practice and when you work systematically the strength of the individual will come out there will always be individuality yeah but so you have a lesson and if a kid leaves a lesson and they haven't been working on a throwing motion maybe it's a kid who's seven years old and, but if a kid leaves a lesson and they haven't hit overheads, you got to hit overheads every day. Yeah. Um, oh, and the rationale, I mean, that's the whole thing for, for us. We say, you know, hey, the rationale is there. The science is there. The math is there. And then the application, you know, tennis intelligence applied. How do you, how do you get people to do that? Let so, me ask you, do you think there's a thousand people in Paris that teach tennis better than me? Uh, you know, I think 800, that number. Yeah, I can, I can live with that. 800. I can live with that. 800 or none. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or zero. Paris. I like Paris. Good eclairs. Paris in Not the springtime. I would eat an eclair. I'm an athlete, but. Yes. Well. And if you serve in volley and doubles, you'll be able to hit more overheads. There you go. Yeah. There's more than, more offense to the game than just trying to whack a forehand. Smack a forehand. Yeah. So true. Anyway, listeners, thanks for listening. All right, kids. Appreciate it. Actually, that's one thing we spent. I spent. I've spent so much time with juniors, but actually, when I was first a student of tennis, I was a tennis camp junkie. I went from tennis camp to tennis camp. I lived in Van for two years. The first year, had to learn how to play. You know, it's like okay, you have to be a ranked player, and I spent five five years, you know, six years, you know, but then that, but two years in the Van. So that I went from tennis camp to tennis camp. And it was adults. Uh, Vic Braden, you know, one of the unfortunate things with Vic is he left the Kramer Club after seven years. And he started just teaching adults because he was really interested in trying to generate more money for more research. And and that's where he became so misinterpreted. Uh, In the 60s, two out of the three top juniors in, in Southern Cal were taught by Braden. Um, you know, it was almost, almost everything he touched turned to gold and, uh, people don't know that, um, with, uh, anyway, I'll shut up. No, thanks for listening, everybody. The overhead, hopefully you got some tips out of that. A little bit of information, some insights, some stories. Yes. If you hit overheads, you are becoming a complete player. If you don't hit overheads, you are still on the side of being an incomplete player. And if you're ever in an academic class and the teacher said, this is incomplete. Yeah. You're not getting a good grade. <laughs> you have to become complete. Yeah, get out there and have some fun. All right, until next week. Senior Adios. Moments. Signing off. Thanks for listening.